Hi there, I'm Jazzy Cook and I'm here with SciDance, a podcast to open and explore the world of dance science. I'm so excited to introduce Luke Abnett for the second episode of SciDance. Luke trained and started practising in Australia, working with varied adolescent sports, including some individual dancers. On moving to London, Luke worked at the Royal Ballet Upper School for six years, five as their sole physiotherapist, and co-founded the Royal Ballet Science and Medicine Advisory Group with the Royal Ballet's clinical director, as well as instigated the first annual physical profiling program at the school. He oversaw massage, podiatry and sports medicine provisions and coordinated fitness and pilates provisions. Luke has presented at the British Association of Sport and Exercise Medicine and the EIS. Since then, Luke has been working privately with dancers and since March working online with dancers one-to-one and in group strengthening classes. His key interests are strength training for high mobility and the balletic hip and ankle. Hi Luke, how are you today? Uh, well, thanks Jason, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. So we're going to discuss hypermobility today. And if we could, before we start, just have a little overview of your background, how you got into this field, where your interest in dance science stems from, and also why hypermobility is really important to you. Sure, I mean, that's, that's many questions mm-hmm. all in one. So I guess where I, where I come from, I, I trained in Australia and practiced in Australia, mostly in private practice. Um, to begin with, I worked with a lot of adolescent sports people from all different sports, um, mainly rowing and tennis and uh, running and volleyball and uh, some gymnastics as well. I did work with some dancers individually, but I wasn't attached to a particular dance school, as it were. Um, and then when I moved to London, I started working at the Royal Ballet School, at the upper school in Covent Garden. And um, I had already had a, um, an artistic appreciation for, for dance, but it had, was, was still fairly green when it came to, um, to working with dancers sort of en masse. Um, but I had a lot of experience with the age group and with um, other, other um, athletes as well. So, so that sort of really married well together. And then, of course, um, working with dancers, um, I, I encountered a lot of hypermobility. And, um, and, and I suppose one of the things that is particularly important with hypermobility, but is also interesting when working with dancers anyway, um, is that it, it is... It's sort of pushing the body to its its extremes for artistic reasons and in a way also for fun and to sort of see how what can we, we can do with the body and and certainly when you have hypermobility your body can do many more things or get into many more positions at least um, than someone who is not hypermobile so so I found that really interesting to work with um, and and therefore that's sort of where I suppose my interest in hypermobility really started yeah sure so I guess what you've touched on there is that it's very prevalent in a dance context and we'll get into how that can be positive and negative a bit later but before we go any further just for our listeners of what is hypermobility when we talk about that yeah so when I'm talking about hypermobility I suppose I'm talking more about hypermobility syndrome where which is um is assessed from a, a collection of tests um, known as the Baton score to to determine how many um of these tests are positive out of a score of nine um, and anything five and over is is deemed to be hypermobile it can be challenging because as you say dancers are often very flexible anyway so um one of the tests for example is to put your hands flat to the floor beside your feet which most dancers can do whether they're hypermobile or not. So they sort of automatically get an extra score for this. Um, so that, that can be sometimes a confounding factor, but it's looking at other things like um, there are two tests involving the hands, so thumb flexibility and um, finger flexibility, and also hyperextension of the elbows and knees. And what it indicates um, is a, a, a different type of collagen. So um, people who have hypermobility um, have these different um, 
different sort of makeup of their collagen fibers, which can affect other things too. So sometimes people with hypermobility syndrome um, have very flexible skin as well. And you can do a test almost where you're sort of pinching the skin on a forearm and lifting it up. And it's just much stretchier than you would find in someone who's not hypermobile. Um, a lot of other conditions can sometimes come along with it as well. So um, you can sometimes have um, changes in blood pressure because the collagen fibers that then are involved in the rest of the body as well are also um, affected by hypermobility syndrome. So that's, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about hypermobility. <laughs> sure. So hypermobile dancers are often drawn to dance because of their, like the aesthetic appeal. They're made for it. a lot of teachers will identify and really young students. So if you're a teacher looking for just looking at your students, how can you identify hypermobility at a young age? What are the first signs? Um, so I suppose it depends on where I, I'm a, a clinician and a physiotherapist and, and working medically, I would identify it by doing a, a series of set tests and that would be how I'd be definitive about it. If you're a teacher um, and you're not trained to do those tests, but you're suspecting that maybe someone's hypermobile, things that you might be looking for could be um, hyperextension in the knees, hyperextension in the elbows. Um, often I find this is not, this is a, a feature that sort of goes alongside hypermobility rather than being a, a diagnostic criterion for hypermobility, but often balance is quite challenging. Um, it's, it, you might sometimes find also hypermobile um, feet and toes. Um, so, so yeah, any, any sort of excess of, of movement than you wouldn't normally expect. Yeah, so you've just touched on their, their sort of proprioception, which can affect their balance. So I've just taken this little extract from I Adams teaching the hypermobile dancer, which I'll link below in the podcast. So at the Royal Ballet Company in school, they investigated hypermobility and they found that 74% of girls and 82% of boys in the lower school were hypermobile and the instance in the... 16 to 18 year olds was 94% in females and 83% in males. So this obviously shows that there's a high rate of hypermobility in like high elite level adolescents. So yes. what other considerations are there when working with hypermobile dancers as well as their proprioception? Yeah, so it's it's funny actually. I used to work with a, um, with a physiotherapist in Brisbane, Australia, um, who um, who had this great saying, he, he described all athletes as being either rocks or jellyfish. And if you're a rock, obviously you're not hypermobile, but you're strong. Whereas a jellyfish is, is hypermobile, perhaps, or very flexible, but then also um, not so strong. So, so therefore, um, they're, they're sort of, I think it's a really nice um, little analogy to use with um, dancers that they can kind of get their heads around fairly simply, even though it's quite complicated things that we're talking about. So either your strength is, the, is your strength, but you have you struggle to work with flexibility or your strength is that you can get into the positions really easily but it's really hard to control them and it's perhaps harder to, to strengthen those i think too just as an aside I, I think that dancers you mentioned before that a lot of dancers perhaps are drawn to dance because either they're um, steered in that direction or because they can find themselves in those positions more easily i find a lot of dancers love yoga as well and i think that it's maybe also because those positions are quite easy to get a hypermobile body into um, and so therefore you feel like a, a sort of an instant sense of achievement. I can do this, I can do this. Um, but I think also one of the things that maybe also draws people with hypermobility to dance is that it does also focus on proprioception. There's some evidence that um, if your collagen is stretchier, then uh, it's harder to get um, sensory feedback for your proprioception to, dis to um, tell your brain basically where you are in space. And so actually by consciously trying to balance and holding on to different muscles in different ways and strengthening muscles, it sort of gives you more of that feedback for proprioception than you would otherwise have. And so you sort of feel a bit more put together if you're activating all of those muscles in a way that dance teaches you. Um, so I think that's a really interesting side of it as well. Um, 
feel like I've gone onto an aside and I've forgotten the original question. Is it something to be aware of when working with dancers, you're just saying? Um, yeah, sort of just the, we'll go into how teachers can do it a bit later, but just the considerations. So there's control, ability, balance. I think you've touched on most of them. There's also coordination. Um, which yeah, coordination. And I think even just, just an awareness, just that to delve a little bit deeper into the proprioception and that body awareness. You know, um, I, I work with a lot of dancers who, um, who have significantly swayed back knees. And in fact, I've, I've worked with some for at the Royal Ballet School, I used to have to sort of take regular measurements of, of height to, um, especially for before auditions, you know, students would need to know what their height was when applying for an audition. And um, if you would stand with your knees locked in hyperextension, you were often significantly shorter than if you stood with your knees in just normal extension, zero degrees extension. In, in fact, some cases by up to a couple of centimeters. <laughs> so, so it can be quite a significant amount of hypermobility, but, um, but it, it's hard to, I think, to feel exactly where that straight zero degrees extension is because it's somewhere in the middle of your range. The end of your range might be 20 degrees of hyperextension. Um, and so actually just uh, working at, at teaching students where those positions are that they're trying to, to find, for example, if you're standing in first position and your heels are together and your knees are together, that feels to them like their knees are bent because their knees aren't fully locked. Um, so that can be an interesting consideration as well. Sure, so just off that, hypermobile dancers often always seem to want to stretch. Why is this? And should we discourage it? Should we encourage it? It's a yeah, really good question. And it's a, I mean, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Stretching is, is being um, looked at much more closely from lots of different perspectives lately to show that actually strengthening into ranges of flexibility might be even better for gaining flexibility than just passive stretching. Um, and certainly I think a lot of dancers, hypermobile or not, love to warm up in quotations um, by sitting in the splits and texting their friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, rather than actually doing exercises that make them warm. Um, I think that my, my hunch, and, and I'd be, I would love to hear if anyone has any papers on this, um, is that, again, because of this lack of proprioceptive feedback, because collagen fibres are so stretchy and therefore um, maybe not as accurate at giving information back to the brain, that actually if I stretch something, I can feel it and I can feel where I am. And so that feels quite nice because I know that that's the limit of my movement. Whereas somewhere in the middle, all just feels a little bit like a jellyfish and it could be here or there or, or slightly, you know, on the other side of, of wherever that neutral position is. So I think it's, it's quite hard for hypermobile dancers to feel that neutral position, but they can definitely feel the end of their range. And it feels nice to feel something, you know, <laughs> um, to feel some, some definite position. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I hadn't prepped this, so just on the spot. Um, <laughs> what do you think about mirrors for hypermobile dancers? Do you think they're helpful? Because obviously then they can physically see if they're in the right position, or do you think it's harmful because they'll become over-reliant? I, I think mirrors, as with lots of, um, uh, lots of learning tools or learning aids, are useful to learn a lesson, but then you have to learn the lesson and apply the lesson. So I think mirrors absolutely have their place, otherwise you wouldn't find them in dance studios. Um, I think that they're perhaps really useful. It's, it's hard. I think a lot of young dancers, a lot of young people love mirrors, whether they're dancers or not. And so it's quite hard to get young people sometimes not to stare at themselves in the mirror whenever there's one in the room. Um, but, um, but I think that, so maybe that's a difficult thing to teach a young dancer not to always look at the mirror if it's in the room. But it's, it's certainly useful, I think, to have available and to use on occasion. So if they can't feel a position, look at it. Can you now change it? Can you now get that feeling into your body about what that position feels like and now lose the mirror and can you maintain that feeling in your body so that you know where that position is without needing the mirror. I think, I think there's, there's that extra step in between 
of yes, look in the mirror, yes, try it without the mirror. But it's also that time and space, I think, to explore a little bit of can I mimic what I felt when I was looking in the mirror just without the mirror there. So there are ways of training hypermobility safely. So the mirror could be one of those tools. What could teachers use in the studio aside from that to ensure that hypermobile students do train safely and they minimise their risk of injury? Because there's many suggestions in literature, but it's often hard to apply this practically to a studio setting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think anything that you can use that helps a student to feel what's happening in their body is useful. So, um, so sometimes you could use TheraBands, you could stand on a TheraBand and spiral it around your calf and around your thigh and hold it up to your hip, for example, to give that feeling of where you're trying to hold someone in turn up, for example. You could also um, stand on the middle of a TheraBand, perhaps, and cross it over the back of the knee and hold both ends of the TheraBand at the front of the hip. If you're with me, so imagine standing your heel on the TheraBand cross it over at the, behind your knee and then hold it together at the front of the hip. So that basically you've got a cross of therabands behind the knee. So that if you push back into it, into a hyperextended knee, you're going to feel something there. The theraband is going to give, obviously it's not going to stop you doing it, but it's going to give you a bit more feedback about where your knee is and have I pushed too far back into that theraband or not. Um, sometimes even just um, working with a theraband, I, I will often use this analogy that I gave before of the student who shrinks when they lock into their swaybacks um, to, to try and push the floor as far away from them as possible. That's not to lock back into their knee as far as possible. That's to be up as tall on their knee as they can, which is neutral rather than, you know, the, rather than sort of locked back or too bent. Because the other thing I sometimes see students with hypermobile knees doing is they don't want to lock back so that they hold their knee a bit bent, but sort of actually still are almost too bent rather than just in that straight position so to help them find that that neutral zero degrees of extension sometimes therabands to push into it can be useful there as well um, as we mentioned already i think mirrors are great um, and i think other cues perhaps too so this might be controversial different teachers have different um, views on this um, i know certainly at, um, at the royal ballet they would always encourage heels together in first um, I know some teachers are sort of happy for heels to be slightly apart if that's more comfortable in swaybacks. And perhaps that's a useful stepping stone to get towards um, heels together for some people. But I think if you're, if you're allowing heels apart, then you're allowing someone to sit into hyperextension in their knees in weight bearing, which I think is, is not necessarily aesthetically what you're looking for, but also not necessarily healthy for the knees to be sitting in that position. It also doesn't encourage you to develop the strength to hold your knee in zero degrees extension instead of sort of encouraging you to kind of sit into it so imagine if you're then transferring that into pirouettes you would like to to not be too swayed back in a pirouette because otherwise that's going to throw off your center of gravity making the turn harder so to be able to 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 use that as a training tool of you know when you put your heels together and you've got your knees stretched they can't go into hyperextension because they're together so that's the position that you're trying to teach your body is straight so that you can then use that in other positions as well um, I will often say to my dancers, okay, this is going to be harder for you to, to stand in first with your heels together, but this is ballet and it's hard and that's okay for it to be hard. <laughs> Let's work hard in, in the early stages so that then the, the harder stuff later, or the more difficult stuff is easier to actually do. Yeah, that's really great because um, a lot of the literature suggests imagery and like kinesthetic feedback, but it's really hard to actually know how you would apply that in a studio. And I think there's some really useful examples. So that's great. Um, what about strengthening and endurance? Because they're things that hypermobile dancers can struggle with, possibly because their deeper stabilizing muscles could be weaker. So how would you incorporate that into a lesson if you were a teacher to help your hypermobile students? So that's a good question. I, I should 
preface this by saying I'm not a teacher. I'm not a, a dance teacher, so I've, I've never taught a dance class before in my life. Um, I teach strengthening classes as a physiotherapist, but to know how a, a teacher applies that um, is, is maybe a little bit difficult for me to make that leap. Um, I, might, I might leave that part of the question to the experts who are experts in teaching. Um, but uh, in terms of um, how to sort of build in the strength and the core um, muscle activation, I think it's, it's interesting too, whether core muscles are weak or whether they're inactive. You can have a strong muscle that you're not using and sometimes it's it's about um, reminding a student particularly a hypermobile student but maybe others as well um, that before you move the leg you have to make sure that you're stable to begin with you know so to to remind them and you hear it in in classes all the time of pulling up of, of engaging your core of engaging your glutes of engaging your turnout muscles um, so i think those are really useful reminders for hypermobile students and i would even i i think it's I think it's a hard job being a dance teacher because there's so much to fit in and, and each dance um, step involves so much. But I, I tend, if I'm running a strengthening class and I can see someone hasn't done it, I just stop and say, no, we, we haven't started properly. We have to start su supported and stable before we then start to, to lift. I think too, sometimes breaking some exercises down, obviously ballet classes do this really well in that the movements start small and get bigger as the class progresses. Um, but I, I will often remind my students especially those ones that want to throw their legs up really high all the time. Of course, every student wants higher extensions, but I'll say the way that this exercise will help you get a higher extension is to strengthen your core. So that's the focus, not the height of the leg. Then when we do an exercise where the focus is height of leg, you've already done this bit well. And so your body's already primed to do that. So that's sometimes a useful um, bridge that the students' minds don't often make themselves, I think. It's useful for, for us as educators to, to remind them. I think, um, on strength as well, I, I think that for, for hypermobile dancers, I, I'll go back to the rocks and jellyfish analogy. So rocks have the strength pretty easily um, and they, they like to do strengthening exercises because they can do them well and they like to hold the plank because they can do it often better than those who are not rocks. And so that, that's, their, that's their way to succeed. Whereas hypermobile dancers get into the positions really easily, that's their way to succeed. But often, I think it's in some ways it's maybe easier for rocks because they know they have to work on their flexibility to get better. And it's really obvious if they're, if they're less flexible than their classmates, that they're really motivated to do that. Whereas I feel like sometimes the jellyfish are maybe less motivated to work on strength. One, it's the thing that's hardest for them. And two, you, it, it, the educated eye can see it, but perhaps if you're the young dancer, you can't necessarily see the difference between someone whose core strength is good and someone whose, whose core strength is a bit weaker. So I think that sometimes they struggle for the motivation to actually do the, like their splits have always come easy to them, you know, typically. Um, their stretches have always come easy to them. They haven't really had to work at it. <laughs> and so actually to do something that feels weak and then the next day still feels weak and then the next day still feels weak and then you challenge the, that, um, area by making the exercise harder so then the next time you do it it still feels weak and it never feels strong and it's sort of I think that can sometimes be really demotivating so it's it's maybe there's a useful lesson there perhaps to to sometimes do strengthening exercises that they've already done that they can already do to show them look how how strong does that position feel now let's get this other position strong as well I think so those sort of motivation factors sometimes play a role too yeah, definitely. That's really real. I like that. Um, can we just go back to what you said about the TheraBand earlier? Because that's really interesting. Do you think that tape, as in like physio tape, has a role in hypermobility? Could that be used? Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I certainly, um, there were some times when I would work at, when I was working at the Royal Ballet School, where um, a teacher would come up to me and say, um, none of my, none of my girls, and it was typically the girls, um, 
none of my girls are feeling their, their backs. They're not engaging their shoulder blade support. Can you do something for that? And I say, sure, I'm going to block out the half hour before your class. <laughs> and I'm going to tape every girl in your class to, to um, take their shoulder blades in a supported position so that if they lose that supported position, they'll feel the tape pull and it will remind them. I certainly didn't do it every day. We might, in the early stages of a term, we might've done it a couple of days of the week, not consecutive days, just one, tape them for one day and then the next day see how they go without the tape. And then day three, we revisit it to see how well did you do, sort of as a retest almost. So you can certainly use um, tape for that proprioceptive feedback as well. And again, I think it's how it's sold and it's how it's used. So I definitely wouldn't be doing it every day for a week and then have them get used to it and then want it all the time because um, they need to be able to support it themselves. But to really sell it to them as you're going to learn how to use this, the tape isn't doing the work for you. You have to use it as the teacher and it's going to teach you whether you're in the right position or not. Um, in your role as a physio, working closely with teachers, when hypermobile dancers come to see you for either just for sort of progression or for an injury, what do they tend to present with? So common types of injuries, I guess, that, that yeah. the mobile dancers um, present with. So generally speaking, and generally, it's hard to divide this up, actually, because most dancers are hypermobile. <laughs> so is this a dance thing or is this a hypermobile thing is maybe a, a, yeah, an interesting discussion as well to dissect. But I think um, most dancers in general, and therefore also most of the hypermobile dancers, um, will tend to get overuse type injuries rather than traumatic injuries. Um, I think because so much time is spent on balance and proprioception and, um, and the class progresses through very, um, in a way very gently, but also very progressively. So through from a plie all the way through to a jump. Um, and so they, they tend to be very aware of where their bodies are, even the hypermobile ones. Um, and so it tends to be the repetitive or overuse type problems or sometimes problems with um, just uh, workloads. So if you've just come off summer holiday and now you're doing 20 hours of dance a week, all of a sudden, and you've done nothing much over the, the off season, as it were, um, that can be really hard. Um, we're in lockdown at the moment and a bunch of dancers are about to go back to studios when they reopen. So again, I'm, I'm, I, from what I see on Instagram, most people are still doing their own stuff at home, but it's different. You don't have the space to do all the Grand Allegro so we could maybe expect when people do get back to doing Grand Allegro or maybe more point work on better flooring, um, that we start to see a sudden increase of, of that kind of loading, point or jumps, that could then lead to um, sort of overuse injuries in that way as well. So hopefully that's a, a useful take home message from the talk today as well. Um, but, I, but yeah, the, the common types of injuries, I suppose, do, do tend to come from that lack of proprioceptive control, um, perhaps allowing um, joints that move traditionally too far for what joints are designed to do, um, that maybe the dancer's not supporting that position as well as, as uh, they, they could. So sometimes we'll see um, problems with impingement, so um, particularly common at the back of the ankle or at the front of the hip, just because dancers use those parts of their joints quite a lot <laughs> compared to other people, um, more so than, um, than most other athletes or, or non-athletes even, um, and the joints go further into those positions as well. So they're harder to control, um, but also their, their range is just extreme in, in those positions as well. So those kind of overuse repetitive um, injuries are the ones I see the most. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely not a podcast intended for medical advice, just as a disclaimer, but <laughs> it's just to look at applying dance science knowledge into the studio. But what would your advice be to the hypermobile dancer themselves who might be worried about an increased risk of injury or might be struggling with aspects of class because of their hypermobility, what advice would you give them to cope with that? Really good question. And, and I think my first reaction when, when asked 
what would my advice be to dancers who are worried that their hypermobility may increase their risk of injury is that in my experience, they don't. And in fact, in my experience, they feel like my body's always been able to do whatever position I've asked of it. So I'm bulletproof and there's nothing I can do that's, that's going to injure myself. And I think that would be my advice is to realize that actually <laughs> there, are, there are risks that come with being hypermobile that you really need to, to sort of, not to be scared by, but to take seriously and to think, okay, so my back goes all the way back and I can touch my head to my bottom, um, but are my abdominals controlling any of this position? And, and can I actually support that position or do I get there and I get stuck and I'm just jamming into my joints, which is fine for a while until it then becomes not fine. And then actually it's something that I find really difficult to rehab because I don't have the strength in that area and it takes a long way to sort of build into that strength. I should say too, if, you're, um, if you have more range in your hip, then you've got more range to strengthen as well. So not even just a normal range to strengthen within, but you've got even more sort of um, range that you need to be able to control as well. So, so I would definitely start early and think, what can I be doing? Hypermobile dancers, my advice would be that there always needs to be some form of, of strengthening um, to, to help support what you're doing in, in a dance class. Dance classes are great for many, many things, and they're great for strengthening in many ways, but not in every way. And, um, and it's certainly not, not effective necessarily at building as much cardiovascular stamina as you might need for a performance in a ballet class, because the exercises tend to be fairly short and there's lots of recovery time in between while you're being coached through the next exercise. Whereas when you're performing, you're going and going and going and going, and that's, that's something different. So I think definitely that amount of cross-training and, and strengthening um, to, to try and prevent the injuries in the first place. Um, and I've forgotten the second part of your question, sorry, Jasmine. That's all right, it was just all struggling with aspects of class due to their hypermobility. Yeah, great question also. And I think, um, again, I, I would try and, maybe my advice would be to sort of redefine what success is. I often find, and I, I used to um, come across this when people would be recovering from injuries at the Royal Ballet School. Obviously it's hard to get into the Royal Ballet School. You have to be at the top of your game and everyone else you're competing with is also working really hard to be at the top of their game. Generally the people who would come through there would be, have been close to the top of their school or the top of their school. And the reason why they got there is that they pushed themselves harder than anyone else did. And then when they get to the Royal Ballet School, they want to push themselves harder than anyone else is. And then they get injured and then they still want to push as hard as they can. And actually that's not the best um, way to respond to that injury. I think in class as well, pushing harder at what you're naturally already good at, flexibility, height of extensions or whatever, isn't necessarily the thing that's going to get you to become a better dancer. Um, interestingly, in that study you mentioned before, that study extended not only from students proportions of hypermobility, but also how many corps ballet members were hypermobile, how many soloists were hypermobile, and how many principals were hypermobile. And the number reduced the further through a, a, um, a, balletic, um, a ballet company um, you progressed, your career progressed. So the principals had the lowest number of hypermobile people compared to soloists, compared to uh, further down. So students with the highest proportion of hypermobile students. So it's not it wasn't the flexibility that necessarily gets you to become a principal. It's the being able to put it all together and that includes strength. So, so my advice would be if you're struggling with some aspects of class, it's probably not your flexibility that's letting you down. You're hypermobile, you're a jellyfish, you've got that. But, but definitely to try and work on the, the strength that could be the missing link to then get your extension higher because if your balance isn't strong or if your leg isn't strong, then it doesn't matter how far you can oversplit if you can't lift your leg into that into a high extension. So building on the strength to, to make up for the difference. And it might feel, those strengthening exercises might feel completely different from the, from the dance exercises, 
but they, they tie in so well together to then complement each other. So that would be my, my advice for students struggling in class would be to, to really find out what those missing links are, whether that's from a ballet teacher telling you that your technique is, is lacking this, or perhaps even from, um, from seeing a, a, a physiotherapist or a, a sports therapist or, um, or a strengthening coach or someone like that who can perhaps analyze the way that your body moves in a different way to find out some strength deficits that you can strengthen and therefore make the whole um, performance of your exercises better. Yeah, so on the same lines as that, as a physio who sees the students, what advice would you give to the teachers on how to help their hypermobile students in class? If you could just give them like one bit of advice on how they could help their hypermobile students. Yeah, I think, um, I think to, to teach their students what they're looking for, maybe in a mirror or what they're looking to feel in, in terms of a visualization, um, to help them find those those positions that they're they're lacking so um, a student might want to feel that stretch in their legs to know that they've pushed themselves as hard as they can so they whack their leg up and not and not necessarily focus on what's my core doing what where's my weight through my supporting leg so if you can give them those cues um, I and, and maybe even say to them, I don't, like, uh, you'll, you'll fail this exercise, <laughs> or maybe don't use the term fail, but you know, you're, you're not succeeding at this exercise um, if you get your leg all the way up, if you're also off your supporting leg. I, and maybe I'll often say to a student, I'm not going to look at your working leg on this exercise, I'm just looking at the supporting leg, and are you doing it? And if you're not doing it, then you're missing the point of this exercise. So I think to really make them focus on those, those missing links um, to then help piece together the rest of the, the movement. Yeah, that's great. So it's like a puzzle, really, I guess you could see it as. And if you're the student or the teacher, you just need to work out where the missing pieces are. I think Absolutely. we've had a really in-depth discussion, which is great. And I think students and teachers can both take something away from it. But is there anything else you'd like to mention or discuss on hypermobility? Um, on hypermobility? No, I, I think that sort of covers it all. I, I agree with you. I think that we've, we've, we've covered a lot in a lot of detail um, yeah. uh, how, how to sort of work in with it. And I think that it's um, it's it can be it's as hard and as simple as that really it's it's um you know the the, the strength to support that hypermobility is often the missing jigsaw puzzle piece um, yeah. but it's the bit that that hypermobile dancers often don't like to work on because it's not the bit that they're naturally good at and we all like to do things that we're naturally good at and so um so but I think that that's where the, the top of the game really get to the top of the game is that they work on all the things that they don't particularly enjoy but that they know that they know that they have to. Sure. So I'll link all your socials down below for where people can find you if they want to hear more. And I'll put some resources as well. But thank you so much for joining me today, Lee. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, and also um, I'm in, my, in the links that you'll see there, um, there's a, there are a bunch of online classes that I'm running at the moment. So whether that's um, for flexible extensions, I'm not running a hypermobility um, course as of yet. Although that's that's possibly on the cards, but uh, you never know. Um, but it, but my one of the classes in particular is called flexible extensions, and it's about getting extensions higher and more flexible but actually most of the work that we do is strength-based so that, that sort of sums up what we've been discussing in a nutshell really doesn't it yeah definitely thank you so much luke my pleasure if you want to find luke or any of the resources mentioned in this podcast check the description box down below thanks for listening and tune in again next monday for another episode of side dance